Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel today. We're brought to you by Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. This episode of Feet is also brought to you by Beach House Soaps. No matter where you live, bring a little bit of the beach to your home with Beach House's all-natural soaps. Be sure to find them at beachhousesoaps.com. We only have a few more weeks of summer left. Let's let's make these weeks count. Don't punt on August just yet, because sooner or later, we're all going to be freezing. At least we'll have some football to watch. Uh, but it's going to be, it, the fall foliage is almost here. So squeeze a little bit of the more toothpaste out of the summer. All right. Your college hooper of the week is Gio Fontaine, former guard from USC. I don't have much to say about Gio Fontaine, actually. Great name, strong, strong college basketball name, good good point guard. Uh, but I don't really remember a ton about Gio Fontaine, just that he was on those USC teams. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. And the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. We got a great episode 
coming your way today. If you're an Arizona fan, this is going to be a big week. We got former team manager uh, from Arizona, Jamal Body, who's about to share some great stories with you upcoming. And then on Wednesday, we should be slated to have Alec White, a reporter down in Tucson. Fingers crossed that he's going to still be able to make that work. But like I said, we have a very, very hearty and meaty interview with Jamal Body. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get to that interview right now. All right, we now welcome to the program former Arizona basketball manager, former USC assistant director of operations, and perhaps most impressive, actually. He's the author of, a co-author, I should say, of the Nerdy McFly Manifesto. We got Jamal Body in the building, man. Thank you for hopping onto the program. What a resume you got there. You might be one of the most accomplished guests that we've had. Now, I'll probably give the edge to Chris Lofton. We were lucky enough to have him on here, SEC player of the year, but you are a Renaissance man. <laughs> well, I thank, thank you for the kind words and thank y'all for having me. Um, you know what? I, I can live with being the second best. Chris Lofton's pretty good. I mean, I'm pretty sure his jumper is still better than mine. Uh, but yeah, I can, I can, I can live with being number two behind him. I mean, it's a good spot to have. And uh, like I said, we don't, we don't get, a ton of high profile guys on here, but that's very impressive. That's a hell of a resume. And you did all of that, obviously in your time at Arizona. And that's kind of where I want to start. And even if we take a step back, you're from Memphis, Tennessee, right? Correct. Okay. And you are good friends with JP Prince. Can you tell our, our listeners a little bit more about that relationship? I know you said you guys still talk to this day, almost daily, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh jp and i became friends our freshman year of high school um and to be funny I, we joke about this all the time i didn't like jp uh when we started high school I, we went to rival middle schools so i went to colonial middle and he went to white station middle and i played on the basketball team there obviously i played on the basketball team at colonial and jp played on the team at white station middle and that white station middle team was a really really good middle school team they ended up winning the sectional championship as far as you can go for middle school and so all of those guys came over to white station high school where we where we met and i was like man i don't like them dudes they beat us two or three times in the regular you know when we played in middle school but uh jp and i were the only freshmen that were involved with the varsity team that year and so jp i was a manager in high school all four years as well um and so jp after our freshman season he got called up to varsity and so i mean throughout it all our friendship grew and we we became really tight and so throughout his recruiting process he would just kind of keep me updated kind of you know just like on some friend type stuff and like maybe our sophomore year of high school he had mentioned hey man we should go like we should probably go to school together like we should go to school together and i'm like yeah why not bro we can go to school together you know that's what people like that's your boy you're gonna say that i didn't but i didn't actually believe it at the time and then um excuse me senior year comes around he has a great summer for the start of our senior year he gets ranked top 35 top 40 in some uh in some places and his recruitment really takes off and he tells me like yo i got my my top five of what was it? Florida, NC State, Arizona, Vandy, and um, somebody else. I forget. And uh, so he's like, so he's going on visits and stuff. It's cool. So I'm thinking I've already applied to Middle Tennessee State University and gotten in at MTSU. I had talked to the coach there. <clears throat> Excuse me, going to be a manager there. So I was all straight. And then he just tells me one day, he's like, bro, I think I'm going to go to Arizona. And it was after Coach Olson and Josh Pastner, um 
came to the school to visit. And I'll never forget this. Uh, Coach O walked in the gym, big, intimidating Coach Olsen. And Josh walked in, and I went over to Josh, and I was just messing around with him. And I was like, hey, man, you know, you can't take my boy without taking me. Like, we're a package deal. Like, I ain't going. He ain't going unless I can come. And Josh was like, okay, cool. Well, if he decides to come here, we'll make that happen. And once again, I'm thinking it's just talk. Uh, but before they left the gym, Josh came over and found me and said, hey, even if JP doesn't decide to go to Arizona, we always need good managers. So here's my number. If you were thinking about coming to Arizona, if, you, if you're really serious about it, just give me a call and we can talk about it. So ultimately, JP decided to go to Arizona. I talked to my mom about it because um, he had offered like that situation came to pass. So they were like, well, if you want to go, we can get that set up. I talked to my mom about it, and she was like, why not? Coach Roz, who was a longtime assistant for Coach Olsen, ended up calling my mom and kind of convinced her that that I was going to be in good hands. And the rest is history, I guess you could say. That's incredible, man. Because before you jumped on, Taylor and I were talking about it. We said, how many recruits, how many people even step foot or look at Arizona from Tennessee, right? I don't know many people – uh, from from like Nashville, Knoxville, Memphis that we've really had our eyes on. And then, of course, you just mentioned J.P. Prince. But that's that, that's it's crazy to think about it. So I'm curious, what were some of the deciding factors for J.P. to say, yeah, I want to go to Arizona? I, I think it was really the tradition of the basketball team. Um, you know, we at that point in time and we still are point guard you. And if you want to be a point guard, um, you would go there and learn under Coach Olsen and like. If I'm honest, I believe um, Staff was a Mustafa Shakur was going into his junior year, our freshman year, and Staff was supposed to go to the league after his junior year. So he was going to be JP was going to be the starter going into our sophomore year. Um, so I think that played a part in it. But I honestly believe, like, um, and once you once you like y'all y'all went there, like once you visit Tucson and you just um, like you see Tucson and you're there, I think that's what really got it for him. Like I said, I was going there sight unseen. I had no idea about anything in Tucson. Like I said, I didn't want to speak to your point about people from this area not really knowing about University of Arizona. I had no idea. I didn't even think about University of Arizona when it came to applying for colleges. Um, but I believe that though the basketball. Uh, program obviously co- playing for Coach Olson and just like after he after you visit Tucson, it's it's very tough to say no. I also committed to University of Arizona <laughs> for non basketball purposes, but also <laughs> yeah. si- also sight unseen. I, I didn't even go to the campus until like my orientation in like yep. early July, and even even then I was like, oh yeah, this is this is the spot. You know that story pretty much just tells me that I really needed a lot better friends growing up because <laughs> none of my friends did any shit for me like that. You know? so, so, hey man, and it, it it to this day, like he just texts me right now. As a matter of fact, um, but that's just to, to this day, bro. That's the kind of friends that we are. P was always a stand up dude. Always looked out for his people. Um, still does to this day, and one of one of the best people I've ever met. To be honest. So what was the biggest adjustment for you coming from Memphis uh, going west to Tucson then? Ooh, the uh the time, the time difference. Um but I mean just your normal your normal adjustments as an 18-year-old again living on your own. Um the responsibility of of making sure you get to class on time, making sure you take care of all this other stuff and then throwing on top of that the basketball aspect of it, you know, being in being in all the being two hours early for practice to help set up or 
uh, before practice, you know, um, before we could start official practice, you know, doing workouts and and things like that. So learning time management was a lot of it. Um, once again, like I got I got really blessed when I got there to get in with another group of friends um, who we just looked out for each other for all four years. I still talk to those guys every day, too. Um, and so it was just just your normal, your normal things. You know, like I had all, all my, all my friends were like either like UT Knox or Vanderbilt or, you know, schools over here on, on this side of the country. So talking to them or calling them might be a little difficult. I had a girlfriend at the time who went to UT chat. So she was at Chattanooga and I was in Arizona. Uh, that obviously didn't last too long, but, um, those were, those were some of the, some of the, some of the uh, adjustments that had to be made. You were at Arizona during a very interesting time in the basketball program, right? So if you, if we start in 2005, very established, I think you might've come in right on the heels of that, obviously that epic uh, collapse, if we're being honest, the one that it just sticks in everyone's craw, but then you were there until 2009, right? And that's the first year under Sean Miller. And if you really take a step back, look at it and say, wow, those four years were a very defining period for a program that had so much stability going back to the eighties, pretty much or early nineties. Right. So I'm curious though, you worked alongside Lou Olson. You were in the same buildings as him. Describe working with him and sharing the same basketball space as, as a Titan like Lou Olson. Man, to be honest, the first year I was scared of Coach Olsen. I was super scared of him. Um, because like like you said, like when you know basketball and you look at college basketball and the type of his history, like his aura in the game. But obviously, everything that everybody else has said about him is so so very true. Um, super nice, super personable, very enjoyable person to be around. Knows he knew more basketball than most people ever forgot. Great teacher. Um my first my first time talking to him on campus. So we talked when they came to White Station to recruit JP. And then when I got on campus, I distinctly remember going up to shake his hand. And Coach Olsen has these massive hands. His hands were huge. And he gave me the black man dap. Like he gave me like the uh, uh, uh. And I was like, oh. It just threw me off because I, I don't I don't know why I didn't expect Coach Olsen, who recruited nothing like recruited black players for years and years, wouldn't know the black man dap, but he did it. And it was it was cool, man. But like you just you learn so much kind of through osmosis from him, right? And so like you think about that staff that we had that first year, that staff was Coach O, Jim Ros Coach Olsen head coach, Jim Rosborough, associate head. Um Miles was the second assistant. No, Josh was the second assistant. Miles Simon was the third assistant. Reggie Geary was director of basketball operations. And like all of those guys are tight, like are Titans. Like, I mean, Miles 97 MOP. Um, You know, we know what Josh has done and Josh is a coaching wonder kid. Reggie went on to coach professionally overseas and the different colleges and things. So like just kind of being around them, soaking up all the basketball knowledge that, that they've had just on a daily basis was immeasurable. You didn't think that Luke was learning different handshakes and stuff on the farm growing up in North Dakota or what, man? You know what? I don't know how many, I don't know how many handshakes he had in North Dakota. I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine there was a lot of black man dab going on in North Dakota. <laughs> uh, so not to skip Pat past Luke, cause we'll talk more about Luke, but I remember um, my first time meeting Luke or seeing Luke was literally like, 
24 hours before he announced his retirement. I was walking through McHale and I'm just from a small town. So I thought it was amazing that I could just walk into this, you know, right. inc- incredible basketball arena. And so for my, for my freshman year and really throughout my college experience, I would go walk through McHale quite often. And I remember walking past Luke, texting all my boys like, yo, <laughs> like I just, like, I just got, you know, walked past Luke, yada, yada, yada. And then he literally like, retired the next day and so i was i was shocked because i'm like i just saw this dude walking around with kale yesterday do you ever look back not necessarily about loot but about like what that team since you were involved with the program we we're just fans so we talk about hypotheticals all the time right but you know what that team like the brandon if brandon jennings would have ended up coming that year if jared bayless wouldn't have left because he hated kevin o'neill like you ever talk about or think about what that team could have been and do you have any other you know thoughts about i guess that specific team or that transition there all the time man i think about it a lot uh honestly coach olsen's um retirement sudden retirement right because it was it was out of the blue nobody knew anything and like it happened so very like suddenly i can't think of another word i'm trying to think like so like i remember he told us we were in the locker room he told us people were crying um jeff withy we jeff withy had just signed with us and this is this had to be the first week of classes, right? First week or something like something along those lines around that time. I don't know the right time, but like the next day, Jeff was gone. Like he didn't he didn't stay. He got he transferred. We Dude, had Laval. I'll never forget. I was in Cactus Grill and I saw Jeff Withy right there. Like first of all, it's just a seven foot monster. But right. I see Jeff Withy and I prompt like I think obviously you know we're we're on our phones or we're looking at ESPN or whatever. I think you're right. 48 hours later, it's like he, Jeff Withy's going to Kansas. He was gone. He was gone. Like it was no quite like soon as the soon as his parents found out that Coach O wasn't going to be the coach, he was out of there. Uh, same thing with Lavelle Lucas Perry. Lavelle lasted until December. Uh, and went to Michigan or Michigan State. He went he went back home to one of them. I forget what school it was. Um, and then you know you had a weird dynamic between Jared and Zane uh, Zane Johnson, who was a freshman on that team as well. Um, and then everybody had to deal with KO, man. And then they, they put they put KO in the driver's seat. And, and um I love you, that you got this right right grin on your face. We'll get to, we'll get to KO. You have a lot you, of interactions have, with some coaches. Yeah, I have a lot of history with Kevin O'Neill. Um, but it was it was it was devastating. It was devastating because like everybody signs up to go to Arizona to play for Ludosin in that time period. And we were coming off a disappointing year before we had lost to Purdue in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, and so we had this amazing class. We had this amazing class with Jared, with Tree, Jamel Horn, all those guys. And this was supposed hey, to be like our Tree just got engaged, by the way. Shout out to Tree. I, I saw it, yeah. <laughs> I saw I saw Tree Tree just got engaged. I gave him a good congratulations on his on his Facebook and Instagram. Um and so, first off, Tree is an all-time great nickname for a person. Um, so, in to where we got to be at that point, and it was um, 2007, 2007, 2008, I think, from where we came in in 2005, um, 2005, 2006, like, like you said, they were just coming off the Pac-10 championship. We lost to um, Illinois. Like JP and I were talking about, if they make it to the final four, we're going to try to go to the We were getting excited, and then boom, they lose the game. And so we come in the next year, and we're on the cover of Sports Illustrated, one of the four Sports Illustrated um, regional covers. And we got – who's back? Staff is back. 
Hassan Adams, Sauce is back, Chris Rogers, Yvonne, yeah, Kirk Walters. Um, we were we were going to be a good team. Then you brought in JP and Marcus and Fendi and you know uh Dylan um double D. I forgot, I can't think of Dylan's last name now. Um but we'll brainstorm. That's why we need a producer, man. This is a clearly a low budget operation. <laughs> but watch what you keep going. Let me Google this. He was he was from he was from Australia. Um double D. Dylan Dylan something. Um and so Dan Daniel Dylan. Daniel Dylan. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah. I, like I, I couldn't remember. I, I knew Pat, that. Patty we, Patty Mills before Patty Mills. Yeah. Exactly. He, Daniel Dylan went from Australia to a school in Kentucky to ended up in US Arizona. Um, which is crazy. But how you go from it? He walks so Josh Green can run. That's how. That's how we'll think about it. Let's let's not forget David Baga also on this team as well. (laughs) Shooter, shooter. So my favorite Baga story. uh, So this is before, like this is 2005. Probably first two weeks of school, first month of school. Frat parties were popping, and this is before everybody had their phones on their hand the whole time. So everybody knew the team had a walk on named David Baga. But nobody knew what David Bagger looked like. So me and JP and Fendi and Marcus were all hanging always together. And, you know, at the time, everybody always wearing your Arizona basketball stuff. So people just assumed that I was David Bagger. I was the walk on because, you know, I'm about I'm like six two. you know, I, I look like I play ball. And so going to some frat parties and stuff, you know, you just tell girls you're David Bagger. Yeah, I'm a walk on, David, whatever. Um None of it worked for me, obviously, but <laughs> but it was that was a that was fun. I used to tell Bagger like Bagger, I was you for like a month, dog. Like people before before people knew who you were, I was you, dude. No, nothing better than than Bagger wearing a shooting sleeve, no matter what's going on. Like, hey man, you, you you stay prepared so you don't have to get prepared. That was David Bagger right there. And that then was, that was David Bagger. Senior night against Stanford or senior day against Stanford, wasn't it? Kids in the floor. In the building. Oh my God. He was, uh, he hit a three, didn't he? A yeah, he it was like a, a top five basketball moment for me at McHale Center. Like he hit was, a three and then he kissed the floor on the way out. That's right. With those jerseys too, because those were the ultra, ultra, ultra big shorts. And yeah. then, and then mm-hmm. the tight tops and bat with Bago at the shooting seat. You look pretty much like what I would look like wearing all of this stuff. But I used to love rebounding for Bagger because he never missed. Yo, go, go. You, you want to put up? You want to put up some shots? Let's go. Because this that's gonna be an easy thirty minutes. I'm not really moving. He, I'll, he I'll tell you what, man. That's the thing with walk-ons that I feel like a lot of people can't appreciate. Just casual fans, right? So obviously Taylor and I are very hardcore. You were literally on the bench, so your mm-hmm. word obviously carries more weight. But you know, obviously. A guy like David Baga, some walk-ons, you, you joke about some of the playing time that they get, yada, yada, but they're they're genuinely good. Like, they would bust your, a lot of people's asses in open gym. And so that oh, yeah. doesn't shock me at all that Baga was a sharpshooter. Oh, man, look. Um, who else used to do that a lot? Chris Rogers used to be a pickup god. He used to be, like, he used to be a pickup guy. He would go to the wreck and destroy dudes. And I'm like, yo, y'all, like, but we get in the games and he only scored like six or seven points. It was kind of it was a weird disconnect. Not to, not to, I guess, not bag on David Baga, but not to beat this into the ground. But David Baga would have been, he was like four years early in terms of like the walk on popularity. He was like Mark Titus essentially turned what David Baga was into like a legit million person listener podcast. David Baga had a book. 
before, yeah. like in like 2008, 2009. He was just pre-social media. He could have been a star, man. He, he could have. He we 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 were we were there too early. I said I with my other group of friends from Arizona. Um, we talk about that all the time because we started doing some stuff. Right, we, if we did it now, we would we know he would have blown up. But you know. Hey, man, I, I know we have only just a few more weeks left of summer, which I had referenced at the top of the program, but Taylor, let's add that to our summer reading list. All right. We got, we got baggage. <laughs> what was it like? Life, life of a walk on. I, I think or it's something? just the walk on the walk on. Yes, and then the like dirty that. McFly manifesto. All right. Those are yep, two. That. That's what we got to come back to school first day and have those two comprehended and, 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 and have <laughs> been, been read. Um, what a big report. So, yeah, exactly. Sue, can I ask a question here? So let's go back to the actual basketball stuff for a minute here. So uh, Kevin O'Neill, right? Mm-hmm. And then you also were uh, with Russ Pinnell as well, correct? Yeah. yeah. So uh, can you compare and contrast for us Kevin O'Neill and Russ Pinnell? Total opposites. <laughs> total opposites. KO, super intense, super intense. Um, language. Loved the colorful words he did. Um, but I always couch this with that man knew basketball, dog. He knew basketball. It ain't more, it ain't many people that know more basketball than Kevin O'Neill. Now he might be a dick and he might, you know, come across and not get the message of where, uh, across in a in the best way, but he knows basketball. Coach uh Russ. I don't ever think Russ really got his footing right. Like, cause it's kind of the same thing again. He kind of just popped up and the dynamics of that staff was, um, you know, we had Russ, Reggie was back as an assistant coach, Reggie Geary. We had Mike Dunlap and then we had Dewey. Russ's dad was on staff too. Um, and so Mike Dunlap did a lot of the heavy lifting on that staff. Um, Mike Dunlap did a lot of heavy lifting on that staff behind the scenes. Didn't he, didn't he go to the Bobcats to be the head coach for maybe not head coach, but didn't he go to the Bobcats? Mm-hmm. Yep. He, he coached, he coached, he's been back in the league for a while. Um, he actually, he was on the Bucks staff, so he won a championship this year. Um, but yeah, so like he, he did that coach, coach Pennell would, I mean, he was a head coach. So his word was the word, but like Mike Dunlap did a lot of the heavy lifting, um, Russ did a lot of the in-game stuff too, uh, but he was kind of more. Russ was more of a players' coach, you know, more of a of a guy like that. Um, that was, Mike, those were fun times. Mike Dunlap is like one of our two or three proud basketball alumni we have from Fairbanks, Alaska, where I'm from. Mm. Mike, Mike Dunlap is from Fairbanks. We have very few people that we are that we can like carry the Alaska basketball banner. He's one of like <laughs> the two or three that that does. Um. Where's Mario Chalmers from? He's from. He's not from Fairbanks, is he? No, he's from Anchorage, and then Anchorage. Uh, Bo- Boozer is from Juno. So, uh, Dacian Nix also from Fairbanks could have been a star, but he went and did other things. But that's a story for another yeah. time. Jamal, <laughs> it's funny that you brought up Mario Chalmers. That's actually a running joke between me, myself, and another one of our friends from Alaska. They would for four years, man. All I heard was this one story of McD- of Mario Chalmers coming from. I don't know the state title game going to the McDonald's All American no, game that, or whatever it was. Okay. He went from That's the McDonald's All American game. The team was down at half. He landed at half. He scored like thirty-two points in the second half. They won. Uh, yeah, he's 
all that guy does is win. Okay. Look at wherever <laughs> you die. Seriously, you can hate on Mario Chalmers all you want, but bat, high school champion, college champion, yeah. NBA yeah. champion, probably the best point guard in the league when he was on the Heat. You know, come on. So we uh, we played them one year, I think. Yeah. In high school. Uh, in, oh, in high oh, school. Oh, 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 really? Yeah, so, uh, it, it was at a. It was at a. Um, it was at a turn the Bass Pro Tournament of Champions in uh, Springfield, Missouri. Our senior year, we played them. Josh came down to see the game because at this point in time, I mean, Mario was always ranked higher than JP, but you spoke Mario's name. You, their name was in the same sentence quite often. And so I, I'm trying to think. I know we were in the same field because it was us, Tyler Hansborough, was White Station with JP, Tyler Hansborough's Popular Bluff, um, uh, Mario, and then it was somebody else. It was four. It was four highly ranked, highly ranked dudes in the class. Uh, did tournament. JP Prince commit to Arizona before Mario committed to Kansas? Do you remember that off the top of your head? Because I know Mario was down to like Arizona and Kansas. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it was like that a lot in a different, a lot of different ways. I think between Chris Douglas Roberts, Mario Chalmers, and JP, they were all up for kind of the same scholarship at a few different places. Right. From what I, what I, what I remember, what I remember. Yeah, that's I mean that's pretty crazy because CDR was in that title game right for Memphis. Yep. He was mm-hmm. right, so him and Chalmers. I think Arizona played Kansas. Did they play Kansas at McHale Center the year that they won the national championship in 08? or was it the year after in 09? The year after. Yeah, and we it got and we got just no 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 we won that game. We Arizona won, that, won game. that game. Yeah, by like by like one. fifteen points. Yeah, it was a it was over. It was over Christmas break, I think. So that was it when was we, we, we yeah. played them in Lawrence the year they won. Cause that was the that was Jared's year that right. we played them Jared's year, and that was the same year we played Derrick Rose. Then too, we came to Memphis and played Derrick Rose, but uh, Jared twisted his knee in practice before the game, so he couldn't play. Right, I think yeah. uh, one Memphis. of uh, one of our one of the classic intro videos from Jared Bayless' time, I think, is he had a big dunk at Kansas, mm-hmm. and I think that was on the intro video for forever. So. So going going back a little bit here, now that we've gotten completely off into some, Alaska, <laughs> some random ass Alaska basketball <laughs> tangent here, um, so that Russ Pinnell team, you know, Jared Bayless leaves because you know a lottery pick, b he doesn't get along with Kevin O'ne- O'Neill. I mean, did, did you know Brandon Jennings at all? Because talk about oh. a guy that talk about a replacement like that would have been. I watched Brandon Jennings mixtapes all summer because I'm like, yo. I get to watch Brandon Jennings all year this next year, and then out. Jordan Hill and Chase Buttinger as well, right? And that Jeff was going to be a three. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, so what? What kind of what kind of reaction does a basketball program have when someone like Brandon Jennings, the number one recruit in the country, the greatest high school mixtape of all time, perhaps? What What's the reaction within basketball program when a guy like that decommits from the team? Uh, it was kind of. It was kind of. I don't want to say. I don't want to say expected, but you always kind of knew that there was going to be some issue, maybe some issues with either grades or something at that point in time. Right. Um, we were, we were excited that he committed obviously. And Brandon had been around Tucson for a minute. Um, he spent a couple weeks every summer there. Like we coach, we would have the elite camps and stuff like that. And they would come. There's a, there's a picture floating around somewhere. One of the elite camps where there's like a, 11th grade Jared and the 10th grade Brandon Jennings sitting right next to each other. Um, and like <laughs> the, there used to be an AAU tournament um, hosted on the campus at KO center and the bear down gym. And 
the rec center and all these other places. Um, the go easy, go easy cats, go easy cats, whatever it's called, whatever the tournament was called. And, um, Brandon would be there. His little brother would be there all the time. His mom would be there. They were really, you know, so it was, it was, we knew Brandon, like he was around, he, he was around. He enjoyed himself in Tucson. Yeah. Excuse me. So it was, it was fun having the possibility of maybe having him on that team, but also you kind of knew there might be some issues, you know? And obviously for those that don't know, Brandon Jennings, essentially loot, loot retires on the heels of that. A, a, a pretty big exodus of big time players, like you had mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Withy as well. So I do want to get back to loot here for a quick second because we actually have. I mean, this is a genuine privilege for us for someone that, like I had mentioned, has been in the same room as loot, has talked to him, shaken his hand. That was that shared a bench with this guy. You had said that you know this came this came as a surprise to you, right? You, you said he gathered you guys in the locker room, and it was just. I mean, what was when you first heard it, like you had mentioned you were crying, but like this was com- this completely caught you guys blindsided. Oh, off guard, completely off guard. Nobody knew. Like I think it was even after a practice or something, you know, so before a workout, after a practice, we were all in the locker room for something. Right. Um, and so that was the first time. And then, the, you know, he came, he technically came back and then, eventually really retired again right before our senior year right, right before that last, my senior year that last year with Russ Pinnell and there is a picture in one of the papers actually that because I'm walking through McHale and me and Jay Hill are walking through McHale and we see DJ Shumpert and so like I hug DJ Shumpert because like oh coach is leaving again and Jay Hill is sitting like standing next to me, kind of with a sad look on his face. And that's the pic that somebody took a picture and they put it in the paper. Um, I forget what paper it was. I don't know if it was a Daily Wildcat or one of the two, one of the local Tucson papers. Um, so like it hits you hard every time because like you just don't know what it is. Like, they didn't give us a lot of information. You just know that Coach O ain't gonna be coaching no more. And then as good as great or as good as those other coaches are, they ain't Coach Olson. So you kind of start thinking about what does that do for the basketball season and what does that do for us? Um, and so maybe I think that first time when we knew we had, like when we had that team with Jared was a freshman and you know, KO taking over, you know, KO, all of this basketball, all this college basketball, this college, all of this college coaching basketball experience this is his second stint in Arizona. He's been in the league for a few years. He, like we, we should be good. And just the style, his style just didn't mesh with some of the stuff that we had on the team. Um, so it was, it was tough, man. It was tough. And I think that was part of the reason why coach Olsen tried to come back when he did, because he saw where the program was. He saw people leaving and he saw what was going on and he didn't like it. That's why KO on the last of the year there. Um, because coach, o, I don't think coach O was happy with how it went. And, um, unfortunately, you know, he came back and it, and it was kind of more of the same and we would see, he would come back to practice every now and then we would see him every now and then, but we just didn't like, didn't even really see him that much those last few years because if he was working on his health and things. Yeah. And if I, if I think back to last year for college basketball fans, that it was such a gut punch just the entire year, because if people, people don't forget, like for college basketball diehards, we were the ones that had to first and foremost suffer a postseason getting canceled. Right. If you remember, it was March madness. That was the forefront Mm -hmm. or the leader of what was going to happen because of the pandemic fast forward a couple months 
And then, of course, tragically, Lute Olson passes away. I think just a week or so after John Thompson passed away. Yeah, uh, it was it was just a, a brutal, brutal couple of months. What was your immediate reaction uh, when the news came down to you that Lute had passed? I was just sad, man. I was just sad. I've I had become um, good friends with his grandson Matt Brazzi, um, and I've talked talked to Brazzi a few times, you know, over the year uh, since this happened. And like you just you just sad. Like I think I wrote um, on my social media, like you know, college basketball lost a legend, and two city of Tucson lost an icon. Something along those something along those lines, because it's just very true. Like it was just a a sad loss for the university, a sad loss of college basketball. I think I saw him last. <sighs> I went to, um, a, we, they had like a Arizona basketball alumni reunion or something in 2018. I think it was whatever year Lord was Laurie's first year, Laurie marketing his only year, whatever year that was the red and blue game was, we were all there for the red and blue game. Um, and so I, he, he was there, some of the events that we did there. So it was good to see him and talk to him, you know, and, and see, but when we lost him, it was just, just sad, man. And, and even now, I think the memorial that they're having a memorial for him in a few weeks, a public first public memorial, I wish I could make it. I don't want to be able to get out there. Um, but it's going to be tough. Like he was a, he was a legend and his fingerprints are still, he hasn't coached a game in 10 years. 12 longer than 10 years, but his fingerprints are still on that the Arizona basketball program and they're going to be on it forever. Not to be even more somber, but Eddie Sutton died closely thereafter. Yeah. And then John Chaney this died this last year as well. Yeah. Really a, uh, a monumental uh, loss. And, you know, as a collective group in the, in the college basketball world, but each of those guys, and I think it's worth noting that each of those guys all, pretty much built their programs that mm -hmm. are now legendary. All four of those guys really did. And they're all really, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say Oklahoma state's a basketball power, like some of those other schools are, but I mean, they are still a very notable basketball program. And uh, you know, it's really unfortunate for all of us that we all, you know, all these fan bases kind of had the same thought, I'm sure. And I really yeah. think it's cool. Like you just said that Arizona specifically, because I can't speak about these other programs, how much loot will always have a part of, uh, the program. And I think that maybe, and you, maybe you can speak to this better than I, but I think that was one of the things Subi and I have kind of mixed feelings. We don't necessarily agree about Sean Miller a lot and I, everything that happened during that time. I, I, I think that at first Sean Miller maybe tried to separate himself, you know, like the loot front era from the Sean era. And I kind of wish that would have been a smoother transition because it was like, we got rid of a lot of loot stuff right off the bat when he came in mm -hmm. Um or, or so it seemed from the outside perspective, you know, cactus logo goes away, all that type of stuff. And it's not that we didn't need a refresher from a basketball program in a way, but internally, did you guys ever feel like there was a lot of changes that didn't need to be made after Luke, you know, retired or, uh, you know, I guess you can see where I'm going with this. Were yeah. 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 That, I don't... Did, were there things that you, that people internally wished still would have been kept up as Sean Miller came through or, or anything like I, that? I, for one thing, the logo for sure. Like everybody loved that. Everybody loved the, the logo on the court. Like that was, that was it. Um, and all I can say about my, my time with Sean was, I mean, like I didn't work under Sean. So like I did my four years and, um, the last, my last year was Russ's, Russ and Mike Dunlap's year. We did before, before Sean came, 
But talking to some of the people that were still there, like a few of the managers who stayed around, I don't think they really saw this. I think people kind of understood it. You know, it was like new coach coming in, trying to put his own stamp on it. And I do believe, like I said, like it just – you're never going to be able to be bigger than Ludolson in Tucson, no matter what you try to do. Um, and so, like, yeah, Sean might have changed some things, but everybody kind of knew, like, Tucson is Ludolson town, you know. And and the office, some stuff in the office looks different, but it still stays the same. Some of the feel and stuff, you know. So, like, stuff like that, I mean – I guess you kind of get it when new coaches come in. The same thing happened, you know, like at, at USC when I was there when when KO got fired. Um, Andy Enfield came in and was like, "Yo, we are, you know, <laughs> we we're going a completely different direction." But um, so yeah, I, I I didn't see anything. All like my time, my thought with Sean is I just needed Sean to stop losing the tournament. I just I like, bro, we have teams with full NBA players. Why are we losing the tournament? Like you have Alonzo Trier. DeAndre Ayton, um, Raleigh Hawkins, and who else? I don't even care who else is on the team. And you out here losing to Xavier. You out here losing to Buffalo. Come on, man. Come on, man. Look, that is – I'm telling you, that could be not just like a two-hour special if we wanted (laughs) to do it. We could unpack quite a bit. But in the the spirit of – trying to keep it light and positive uh we'll, we can pivot away from you know okay. a coach that you didn't, weren't actually working for but yeah i mean that is a whole whole separate uh, a two I, I a two hour special we could just do the whole podcast about this <laughs> like for in, in eternity but i'm sure i'm sure our multiple episodes like yeah <laughs> we could do like a six-part netflix series or something like that that's what we could do um but speaking of the players and you've actually name dropped quite a few now it's clear that you had a very good relationship with a lot of them who are some of the players during your tenure that maybe don't get enough credit for their production or even their production in practice we know that what makes a great team is even the 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 grunt guys in practice were there any guys that you were around that you remember for their crazy competitiveness or attitude on the floor their quirkiness anyone that comes to mind uh my last year kyle fogg Foggy was a tremendous worker, and you could see the change in him from the start of the season to the end of the season. Um, Marcus Williams, my freshman year, my freshman and sophomore year, Marcus had a chance to be a top twenty pick if he left if he went to the league after our freshman year. You know, he came back for his sophomore year and he fell to the second round, but Marcus was a first rounder if he if he went out after our first freshman year. Uh, like I mean, people say it all the time. Staff staff worked his butt off. Didn't re- never really lost in drills. Um, that was what he did. I'm trying to think, we talked about Bagger. Bagger just Bagger just does. Bagger Bagger was your consummate walk on dog. He was the perfect walk on, the perfect person for that team. Uh, let me think. I'm going through the I'm going through the years in my head right now. Um, I gotta give a shout out to my boy Fendi. Fendi, they didn't know what they wanted to do with Fendi for a time. Um, and so say some, someone to play on the post cause he's big, but he's short. Someone to be on the outside. So he had to change his game and work on his game a lot. Um, well, I was, was I, he put the work in. I thought you were about to say, you didn't know whether or not to have him on the football field or the basketball court. Like, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to positions, I guess here in a minute, but like he was a football player too, wasn't he? Uh, he played football in high school and he never played at university of Arizona. They tried to get him to. But he went to the University of Houston right after he left Arizona and played on their football team. This is how much of a crazy athlete this dude was, bro. Like he, 
was a he played basketball, college basketball for four years, went to go play college football for one year, blocked an extra point or a field goal or something like that, and then got drafted. Like he got drafted like in the sixth round or the seventh round by the Rams, I think. And I'm like, bro, I said, dog, people play football their whole lives and don't get drafted. You played t- 10 games <laughs> and, got, and got drafted and stayed in the NFL on practice squads and stuff for like three or four years. Longer than that. Yeah, it's just like six, six years he was in the, on NFL practice squads. But it's like, like it, That's crazy. Until 2014. Like that, that's He also, I mean, he's the, I've never seen one basketball player that had bigger arms like than Fendi Ono. The only other person I can think about is, uh, is like Patrick Young from, uh, yeah. from Florida. But so he was, did, but he was like four or five inches taller than Fendi on the bus. If Fendi would have been two or three inches taller, he would have been a, a hell of a bat. Like in, in in the pros, and so we did um, for Midnight Madness uh, our freshman year. Fendi had a like a bulletproof vest on and came out as like Fendi Cent instead of Fifty Cent Fendi Cent. Um, so it was corny, but it was cool because he looked like him. He had all the muscles and stuff. Uh, but you know, that was, that was fun. Um, in terms of works, I man, we, we were around a lot of good, a lot of people who put in a lot of work, man. And, and, you know, that's what you gotta be. If you want to be a college athlete, you gotta be able to do that. Like I remember one time me and Mark, I had to rebound for Marcus in the dark and Mikhail cause we couldn't figure out how to get the lights on. And normally we'd have like, yo bro, let's just go home. But he wanted to, <laughs> he wanted to keep shooting. So when I'm, I'm a manager, I'm just my job. I got to rebound and do whatever the players want to do. So we do that. Um, you know, stuff like that. Juwan McClellan as well. J Mac, J Mac, you know, injuries kind of mess with him, but J Mac was a great leader that year that we had with uh KO. That was his senior year. Um, he couldn't do much physically, uh, due to limits, physical limitations, but he was always working his butt off too. Do you remember any opponents from that time who came into McHale? Uh, cause Subi and I talk about all the time, how, you know, there are certain players that just come in and just seemingly fuck us for lack of a better word, like every single time, whether it's home or away, who, who sticks out in your mind from that era? That was like, how's this dude getting us every single time we play them? Brandon Roy, Brandon Roy at University of Washington. I was the biggest Brandon Roy stand. Like when we, I would, we played them my freshman year with senior night and they beat us. Uh, I think Will Conroy was on that team. Washington always had a good team. Quincy was another one. Quincy Poindexter from Washington would never play well until he played us. And then whether the game was in Seattle or the game was in Tucson, Quincy would go off. And, you know, he played for the Grizzlies for a minute and he's actually really good friends with my brother. And so we, we talk about it all the time. Like Quincy, you didn't play well until you, until you played us. And like, that's what, that was one. Who else? I'll tell you what, though. Hey, real quick out of those two, I got zero shame because one, is obviously when when healthy one of the best point guards we've seen this generation right and then also quincy pondexter who's a very serviceable had a great you know really good nba mm-hmm. career so i got no shame in those guys <laughs> just yet who else do you have on that list james harden okay like yeah james, i don't have shame he's, he's pretty good yeah yeah we uh i didn't we lost to asu four times no so my junior year no, let me get, make sure I get this right. My senior year, Russ's year, we lost to them twice in the regular season. We played them in the Pac-12, in the Pac-10. We were still Pac-10 at the time, Pac-10 tournament. 
And then I think before that we might have beat them once when KO was the coach. I'm not sure. I gotta I gotta think about it. but but everybody on that ASU team. Um, well, who's the? I can't think of the little white point guard that they Derek had. Glasser. Derek Glasser, <laughs> like him, whose dad, um, whose dad started seven jeans, right? Are those like true religion? Or maybe it's true religion. I, I don't yeah, know. It could be seven jeans. <laughs> that story makes so much sense. It, so it, I, it makes so much sense. I live in Scottsdale, and Derek Glasser is the epitome of a kid who grew up in Scottsdale, Arizona. Like, oh, he, about to say. yeah, it, uh, make, it makes too much sense. Uh, Jeff Pendergraft. Was on Jeff Pendergraft before he was Jeff Ayers. Um, um, that UCLA, those UCLA players. Um, was Rahard's Cook Six on that team? White, who? white Rahard's Cook Six, white, tall, white shooter, like Eastern European guy. He's from like Latvia well, or something. Wasn't well, he? ASU, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it was Rahard. He might have been, he might have yeah, been I on one of them toward the end there. Hold on, I want to go back one sec before you go through the UCLA guys. I, I have a, a, a still a distinct memory of Jordan Hill setting the cleanest screen in the history of college basketball, uh, <laughs> with like eight seconds left against ASU, uh, like the last game of the regular season, which would have been your senior year there, Russ Pinnell's year, and he got called for an offensive foul, and then. Yeah, uh, and then I think James Harden came down the other way and laid it in. Yep. Still remember that quite quite vividly. Where Jordan Hill stood there for like 19 seconds, it seemed like, and then we were going the we, other way. We had some terrible losses under us. It was we lost on a last second shot a few times. Law on we were up by something and Jamel fouled at the wrong time. Jamel Horn fouled somebody at the wrong time. Yeah, that was like yeah. his first game or something. Yeah. Yeah. He, it was early in the season. We but we yeah. need to win with me. UAB. UAB. Mike yeah. Davis was the head coach. Yeah. And so and I, one actually Subi got his first ESPN screenshot uh, of the camera <laughs> directly on his face uh, going like he's doing right now with his head on his hands right after. Doug, I had no idea in terms of like situational basketball and who are we? I mean, we're just a couple of out of shape guys picking on like a five-star recruit who could, you know, eat my lunch. Right. But I'm sitting there just like, I don't know what the fuck I just witnessed in terms of yeah. situational basketball. I mean, I you, know, I, you grow up and you get, you feel bad for these guys. I don't remember the exact situation, but I know Melo is not supposed to foul. Um, and then, and we're playing UAB and some uh, the UAB team had two kids from Memphis on it. So they were talking shit. Um, and then we lost another game in a crazy way. And I was watching the highlights because some of this stuff just and I remember Russ was wearing the same suit in both games. And I told him, I was like, yo, bro, you got to get rid of this suit, my guy. Like you, you don't wear this suit no more because every time you wear this suit, we end up losing in a terrible fashion. Um we also had probably the craziest win I've ever seen under Russ Pinnell too, the University <laughs> of Houston game. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. Uh, Aubrey Coleman was that who stepped Aubrey on the Coleman stepped on, yeah, stepped on Chase's chest, and then we were. That was like his face. We were we were dead in the water. Like we were we down had, ten with like fifty eight seconds left or something. We had lost to ASU a couple days before, and so we were playing Houston on a Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. Aubrey Coleman was kicking our ass, and then something he Chase got him. He stepped on Chase. And we reeled off some wins. And actually, that game turned that season around because we went on like an eight-game winning streak, which in turn got it. That winning streak got us into the tournament. And even further, you go Sweet 16. Yep. We lost to ASU. And then we – excuse me. Then we won every game until we played ASU again. And we lost to them again. So, with ASU was the bookends of that stretch 
they got us there. Um, who else? Like it was one of the dudes from Cal. Um, oh, what's my boy name? Patrick Christopher. Patrick Christopher used to give us buckets. Uh, Landry Fields at Stanford used to give us buckets. <laughs> like, Those guys are good, even, man. No, it wasn't even funny, man. Like, oh my god, like you. I tell people though, that time in the Pac-10, you weren't gonna find too many, too many off nights. Like you had an off night sometimes again. Even even Washington State had was the Weaver, Kyle Weaver, and Jonathan Lowe, Taylor um, Taylor Rochester. Yep, they were good. Like you, even if you go down, like Oregon State, they were, was playing the slow, methodical thing. Like you couldn't. Who was their, their big, big, like fat dude? Uh, I don't. I can't. I can't remember his name. I you know what I'm talking about, though. Yeah. Uh, he, he scored like 19 against us one one day. I think we lost in like overtime, and they won like four games that year. I don't. I Cor. I just block everything from Corvallis out of my brain. Um, so yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was a good time. Who else, man? I mean, we went. We went into the Galen Center on like a Thursday night or something, and. Jared and Juwan had a game. Like somebody, Jared, Jared had a lob or Chase got a lob. And I remember sitting on the edge of the bench. Our bench was closer to the student section. And they were heckling, calling me Urkel because I was wearing glasses and stuff. But as soon as we started winning, boy, I was going back at them. I was going back at them. Those, those were fun times. Those were fun times. Well, that's what Taylor and I always like asking our guests, especially those that have been on the bench. Actually, real quick, do you did you ever meet uh, David Miller? Did you ever did you ever talk with him or was he we, we crossed paths a few times and then right. I'm sure I know I'm sure we've met like shook hands and stuff like that but I can't say I know him. Okay, so he's yeah. been on the program before actually, and he's now uh, an assistant coach uh, up at San Jose State working for Tim Miles, and he's a great guy. He's had so many great stories, and we always ask some of our guests. We say best atmosphere you've been in. I'm talking rowdy. These fans are up your ass like loud. What are the what is and this is the question I have Taylor followed up with one of his own. But what's the best atmosphere you remember being on the road in? Texas A and M. Texas A and M is loud. It is loud, loud. Um, Oregon Stadium before this newest one, when they were they were kind of right on top of you. It was like straight up. They used to get crazy. Um. I used to talk a lot of shit to people at USC. Uh, th- those were fun. Let me think. Stanford, not so much. Cal, not so much. I'm kind of going down the list. Washington was always a great place to play. Um, just because you know they're going to be good. The fans are rowdy and crazy. Uh, Washington State, not so much. UCLA, at the old poly. At the old poly, not the new poly. Yeah, I would I would say that. Um, where, where else? Oh, another one. UNLV, UNLV running rebels. They were loud. Ah, uh, New Mexico, New Mexico State in Albuquerque. New Mexico State. The pit is just a very cool place to play. So that's New um, Mexico, I think, right? Yeah. New Mexico's Albuquerque. Okay, okay. yeah. With, uh, so I mean, so New Mexico State is in Las Cruces, then. That's it. Yep. So New Mexico State, that's the one. Uh, they play in the, the their their court is kind of sunken down, which is cool. So, yeah, so those are some fun places to, that that we played in, man. So obviously the next question after this, actually, when we first put in the players from UCLA, I was thinking of were Michael Roll and Nikola Dragovich as well. Those guys and Dragovich with Roll. his like faux hawk 
and like the the tats everywhere. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so so call call a school out though. What's the you just said Corvallis? Like, what's not just in the Pac-10, but what's the worst place? Uh, whether it was you with USC or with Arizona or with whoever that you went to, and you're like, why would you ever come here if you were a basketball recruit? Corvallis. Uh, we played Nebraska when I was at USC, and I'm just like, no, what for? There's not a lot of only black people you see are the athletes, so why would you go there? Um, I didn't. I didn't get. I never got a chance to go to Kansas, even though like both of my teams, most of the schools play Kansas a lot. Uh, I'm trying to think, the two years, man, where did, in the two years at SC, where do we go non-conference? Like we did like some. We were like rivers. You see Riverside, you know stuff like you're playing in a rec center. Um, Cor- Corvallis and Corvallis and Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> like what for? Yeah, um, I mean, those are definitely two schools you don't think of when talking about big time college basketball. Although, hey, right. hat tip to Oregon State this past year, man. They had a run. They did, and they won me some money. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was definitely betting on them. I want to talk a little bit about your time at USC though, because we've okay. spent a ton of time obviously with Arizona. UC's now been to the tournament a few times under Andy Enfield with last year obviously being the most successful season as they did make it all the way to the Elite Eight, dismantled Kansas in the process. Did you ever think when you were there, did you think that they would end up producing top-tier NBA talent? I mean, if we think about it most recently, they got Evan Mobley, Onyeka Kongwu, Kevin Porter Jr., right? These guys are all coming through under Enfield. Did you think USC – they have an argument right now as being one of the hotbeds of, hey, if you want to go to the NBA, if you want to get picked in the lottery, come to L.A. Well, I think you always saw it because of the location. Like, I mean, you're in L.A. You're some, the campus is beautiful. Um, and so and we've seen USC have success with players before. Nick Young, Gabe Pruitt, um, DeMar. Yeah, OJ Pruitt, I'd like to mention. Yeah, like OJ Mayo, Demar, Taj Gibson. Now I know all those guys outside of um, Demar because Demar's from LA. All those other guys came came to USC, uh, and so while we were there, our our coaching staff just had a different philosophy. We didn't really go after Ko. Didn't really like young people. So if you look at everybody that he recruited, it was JUCO guys. Guys that needed like a, I don't want to say needed a second chance, but older guys that needed the chance, more mature body wise and ment- and mentally wise, so he can mentally terrorize you. <laughs> no, I'm playing. Um, but are, so are you? Are you though? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you always saw the you always saw the potential, and then and, and Andy came in with a different style, and um, they took it to the next level. And which I'm glad they did. I'm, I'm happy for them. I'm, that the Galen Center is beautiful. You you can play the game. You got you play the game overlooking downtown LA. You know when they got the shades open, it's like a beautiful campus. So I'm I'm happy for the success they've had. Andy's a cool dude. I met him um, right before uh, I left. You know when I still thought I wanted to be in college basketball. I talked to him about maybe staying on with his staff, and he was just like, Nah, doubt. He was like, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to bring in my own people. And I was like, you know what? That's the game, you know. I, you, you ain't my coach. I didn't come in with you, so I, I totally get it. 
Um, but he offered to put in some calls to people and help me out in any kind of way I needed. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy for the success they've had there. Uh, like us, you know, there's been some, some downs, some ups and some downs, NCAA probes and FBI probes and stuff. Um, my boy TB got into some trouble. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm happy for what they got going on over there. So not to say anything disparaging against Andy Enfield by any means, but did you expect him to have that kind of success at USC? I mean, like you kind of spoken about that, but because, you know, he kind of came in as a flash in the pan, Mm -hmm. you know, lob city, you know, Florida Gulf coast. And, you know, I think a lot of people, myself, and I know Subi included were like, yeah, this is not going (laughs) to work, you know? And, I did did you have that thought or you know you met him a little bit? I actually bit. thought I actually thought he was going to do okay. And just like with any coach, he had to get his people in there. He had to get his type of players in there and do that. And so I mean, if we're just gonna be honest about it, you, you once you get players, it's easy. And, and once you you know, he hired the Mobley's dad. Like that's everybody knows why you do that. You do that to get the Mobleys and you to get everybody else who's connected to him. And that's partially what happened. And you get those guys, you're gonna you're going to be good. And once you start, once you start winning and getting the ball rolling, then other people are looking, Oh, I don't have to just go to UCLA to play. I can go to right down. I can go to across this, across the city to, uh, you know, to use to USC. And so I thought that he was, I thought that he would bring a very fun um, type of basketball, a lot more fun than the stuff that we did at SC. Cause that's, that's other styles. KO was a slower down methodical, we're going to call a play every time this and that, you know, and Andy was out here trying to run, throw lobs and do whatever. So when he got his people, when he got his players in, it kind of just took off. Absolutely. I want to focus about your work off the court. Now mm-hmm. tell us about the nerdy McFly manifesto. Tell us how the idea to write a book was hatched amongst six other friends. So it, the idea came from, we were just sitting around, I don't know which whose apartment it was or whose house it was at the time. We, Bud Light had that campaign like uh, real men, whatever it is, like man law. That's what it was. They had the man law campaign, and so it's it was me, um, my frat brother Ego Ego Melly, uh, my boy Rasan who used to write for Go Easy Cats, who um, and then we got my boy Bryce and my boy Raf and Fendi also was on the writing group with us too. But since this was before name, image, and likeness, he can't put his name on it because we were making money. And so they actually tried to like suspend them or we had to go through the whole NCAA stuff because the coaching staff was with it. They were okay with it. Um, you know, but um, due to the rules, he couldn't, he couldn't be a part of it that much because uh, we were making money. And so we were doing the, we they came up with these man laws and we we're like, man, that's cool. But like, we need to do something for the younger for this college age thing. And so we were cocky 18, 19, 20 year olds. And we like, man, we can teach these dudes on this campus how to do whatever, you know, we can come up with reasons and whatever. So we just, we just hashed out. We put a, we put a, we made 101 rules, 101 laws, I guess, you know, some stuff is just as simple as make sure your, your belt matches your shoes, your shoes, your belt and your watch match, or, you know, closet organization how to talk you know how we think you should introduce yourself to a girl you know all these all this type of things put a recipe in there on your first date cook this and you know just stuff like that and so we we broke it up between the six of us everyone 
don't, I don't, I can't think what the number is. Um, everybody wrote like 10 rules or whatever it was, 15 rules. And we put them all together. We self-published a book. Um, did some did some press, I guess you can say we we had a we had our boy Lance Madden. Lance used to write for the Daily Wildcat. And uh whenever we would do something, we just call Lance up and say, Lance, bro, I need I need you to write a story on us, or you need a story on us. Boom. So he put a story in the paper, then it got picked up by the two sons, the two son, whatever, son or something. We got a front page spread in that. Um, but a picture and they talked about it. And so yeah, man, that that, that it, it really just came about from a little conversation. And like when you talked about Baga being a couple years too early for the social media stuff, we were like, we were just, we had this conversation once a year. Like if we were in college now and you wrote this book and you do something like this now, like you can blow up. Like, cause the whole thing was like, let's, we want to do speaking tours. We're going to get this. <laughs> we're going to get this to be like required reading and like some youth programs, you know, like stuff like that, man. It was all, all stuff all stuff to try to help this next generation become the better version of themselves or what we think could help them become better versions of themselves. Well, I was reading that cover story and I think a lot of it is like you had mentioned, uh, not necessarily trivial items, but small little things like you had mentioned yeah. the, the, the belt and things like that. But there's also the fact that five of these authors or five of the authors, obviously, you know, black, one's Puerto Rican, the other's Anglo. Why was it so important to you guys, you know, to, to, come at this book or write this book with this level of diversity? What are some of the advantages that, that you saw with that? Man, we just, everybody just had different experiences. So like that was our group dog. So like me, I tell people all the time, my boy Raph was my first friend ever in University of Arizona. We ran into each other in the airport in Phoenix for orientation. We ran to an airport in Phoenix for orientation. And he was like, he was out there by himself. My mom, it came orientation to me. And he was like, bro, I just need to be around another black person. And so this is and Raph is Raph is the Puerto Rican one. Raph is Puerto Rican. And so we just struck up a friendship right there. He's my first friend. Like we, we became friends on the plane, friends in the Phoenix airport. Um, and so so Raph is from New York, Ego is from New York, and Max, Max is the white guy. Max is from New York. And so they had their own, but three different parts of New York. They had their own different experiences about some of the things. I'm from Memphis. I was me and Fendi were from the South. So we have different experiences about things. Um, and Bryce was a kind of a Bryce moved around a lot, but he did his high school in Phoenix and he was a little more polished than all of us. So he had a different, different viewpoint on some things. So, I mean, like a lot of this stuff is just stuff that we would be talking about anyway, even if we didn't put it in, on paper or in the book, that's just as, as friends and stuff that we would just talk about. And so, that was us, man. Um, it was it was a good time. I love those dudes. Like I, said, I talk to them every day. Our the name of our group chat group chat is called the ILC, the Integrated Learning Center. Um, so, you know, it's it's all love, and we'll always be love with them. Hey, you're talking to two people who pretty much just had their this conversation, this podcast as a conversation <laughs> on their couch for a number of years. And yeah. funny you say that because Subi and I met literally day one. English 101 is the first time that Subi and I met. So kind of similar situation. Yeah. And go ahead. It's so just like craziness. Another random story, random Arizona story. So uh, probably the first week, the first weekend of classes, um, me and Raph, me and Raph are walking around. We see another one of our friends, a young lady named Cheyenne. And Shai tells us, 
oh, there's a there's a house party at so and so house around the corner from from the dorms. So we're like, cool, we're gonna go to this house party. We don't know nobody at this house party. Whatever, right? We're just gonna go. So we go to the dorms to get changed. And on my way to a dorm, on the way to my dorm, I see this group of girls standing outside the dorm. And I see uh, a black girl there. And I'm like, well, I'm going, I made it a mission. I'm going to say hello to every black girl that I see on this campus. And so I go up there, I go up to her and I start looking at her and she looks familiar. Um, and she looks at me and I look familiar to her. It was a girl I had met in middle school. She, she lived in Memphis for years and we went to middle school together. And then she transferred, she her family moved to Arizona, maybe around our freshman year of high school. And we just lost contact. And I hadn't seen her in like four or five years. And I saw her like the first week there. So like, there's another friend there, right? Um, Wait, so, so hang, hang on. When you when you were talking to her, like, did it did it take you 15, 20 minutes to remember and be like, yeah. or did you like immediately recognize? It was right off. It was right off. Like, I looked at her. She looked at me. I said her name. She said my name. And then it was like, oh, we know each other. Uh, you know, so so that was that was interesting. Just a lot of different connections with that, man. Um, and then we, we never made it to the party. Yeah, I was going to say how the house party go. That's what yeah, I said. Yeah, that was never, what I was looking for here. So, But I didn't I didn't talk to her like I was like, I want to get to this party. So I'm like, hey, what's up? Good to see you. We're going to holler at you later because I'm thinking this is like I'm not thinking that this campus has 30,000 people on it. You know, what I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to be able to see you whatever and lord knows i you know whatever yeah right yeah you right exactly so i want to talk about that era but social media for a second as it relates to your book okay mm -hmm. so like nowadays you're saying you would have been on twitter you'd have been on instagram yada 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 do you know that your myspace is still active i don't know that the, the, I know that. the slim one the slim one that is me <laughs> Is 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 Guapoli still the song that plays on there? Closer to my dream. I don't. I don't think you're allowed to have songs anymore. But I mean, what a, what a different era that would have been if you'd have been able to sell your book on something other than MySpace of all places. Uh, you know? So we we started a blog spot. We had the nerdymcfly.blogspot.com, and I think that's been overtaken. Uh, we're not where we would we would blog for, uh, and and we we used to do these videos. So. Uh, this so this was senior year. We got um, a camera, a digital camera as a gift for the Pac-10 tournament. You know, they get every year they when you go they give you these gifts. So one year I got from when I was at USC, I got some Beats headphones as a gift. As, that's that's what they gave every participant. But this year in Arizona, they gave us all digital cameras, and so we would film recaps of like playoff games or something like that, and we would put it on the blog spot, and it would take three hours to upload. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the quality would be terrible, but we were like, Oh, we've got video. This is right. YouTube was a thing, but I don't think we knew how to work YouTube that well at that point in time. Uh -huh. And so I just know now that if we had grown up in this era and was able to do what we did then now, well, it, off the charts, we would have been off the charts. You got all, you got six dudes with great personalities. That would have been able to uh, would have been able to sell this thing to anybody. It's crazy the the combination between the NIL stuff and also social media. I mean, it's just a perfect. Yep. It's like a powder keg now. Go ahead, Taylor. So I was going to say it will only load four, but can you remember any of your top eight on this MySpace before we? Wow, top eight on the one would be had to, one would probably be my brother. Uh, yeah, yep. mm -hmm. Um, 
I can only see the top four for whatever it's worth. So, how many women are there? <laughs> Did Mason I, make the cut too? Is is Courtney Scott? Is that is that Courtney, a girl? Courtney? Courtney, Courtney Scott was a good friend of mine. She was the homie. Um, and then I got your boy Bryce on here as well. It's right. Okay. So, but right. ner- the nerdy McFly MySpace page is your number one. Just <laughs> need, need to <laughs> oh my goodness! That's the, I got after I'm done with this. I am going to go do a deep dive on myself and see and see what I can find on that. That's I, that's I hate cool. to I hate to you know ruin the surprise, but in my research you have some phenomenal pictures available on on your MySpace page. <laughs> Add that, add that to our summer reading list. All right, so <laughs> we got the we got the Nerdy McFly book. We got uh, what was the other one that that we had referenced? Bagus book. Bagus book. book, and then for some light reading, maybe turn our brain off just for a little bit. Uh, the MySpace. Well, hey man, we will get you out of here on this. I had a copy around here. Hold on, let me let me look in my bookcase see if I have a copy of it. You you got a copy of it? Yes. Are you still are you still getting sales? Do you know? Uh, (laughs) Um, I don't think we are. We we was on it was on Amazon for a minute, Um, and then I think what what we did, what my line brother did, Ego, he he kind of revamped it about six years ago to call it. I hope this helps. And I think it was going to be. I think he tried to turn it into an ebook uh, at some point. For hope this helps, but I don't even know. I don't know where that is. I knew I, I got a copy around here somewhere, bro. Well, hey, man, if you can hook us up, please do. All right. Well, we got the social media now. Let's give it a revitalization. We can <laughs> we can pedal this. We got the Twitter and all that good stuff. Put, I told them that. So don't don't steal my idea. But my idea was we should record a podcast about it. We should break down every rule. And talk. We should say the rule, break down the rule, and make it a podcast, and go from there. But they, we're too adult. We got lives and kids and stuff. Who cares? Bro? I'm I'm all for it. An audio book or yeah, each, yeah, yeah. Each podcast, you just work through one. It only has to be like twenty minutes. Like break down exactly. one rule and just go on it for 15, 20 minutes and why it's important, and then go on to the next one. New so, new episode. Okay. So now, now you, now you got me looking at the at the MySpace. Yeah, man. So, or be, or, how's it look? Are you gonna go <laughs> go back to this and and maintain it? Or oh, is I this just... we... No, no. <laughs> I forgot we took these terrible pictures. <laughs> oh man, I, I mean, one times, times in college, bro. That's I mean, fine. there you go. Those are cottage. But like, I, I, I love telling. I'm glad you guys saw about the the manifesto, man. That was a good, a good time with some friends. Um, we did a, we tried to get it in the bookstore, and on campus, and I think it, we didn't have enough copies. Something along that line. So we just we, we self published. So we printed out like two thousand copies, two thousand physical copies, and we took it to the L.A. Times Book Fair, um, right after we did that. And there was some talks about some people that wanted to, you know, do some other stuff with it. But it was just fun. People liked it, enjoyed it. They read it, you know. Um, and it was just something to do. And I think that's kind of shaped all of the work that we all do now anyway, all about giving back to the community in whatever way we can. Like, that's what I do here in Memphis, um, you know, working with nonprofits and 
all of that stuff. So it's it was it was a fun time been, you know, having that time in Arizona with my boys. Can't beat that. No, not at all. And and like you had mentioned, I mean it's it's very evident in what you're doing and you know, nothing short of very impressive. Obviously, that you guys were able to put this together. I'll let you get out of here on this, Jamal. What's more difficult, publishing a publishing a book or working in big time college basketball? <laughs> oh, uh, working in big time college basketball. I tell you that much. Uh, but the perks are fun. the The perks are amazing, and um, if you love the game of basketball, it's just something fun to do, right? I mean, you know, it's. I tell people all the time. Uh, they should look at being a manager. I mean, I got my school paid for on a scholarship. Didn't have to. You, you don't have to always play. You know, there's there's many different avenues for you to get um, to get into this game. I think more that's more evident now than ever before from just how, you know. People from all walks of life or lawyers are becoming team presidents and analytic and analytic analytic analytics and guys and stuff like that. So all of that stuff. But, man, it, it was I will never, ever regret my time working for Arizona or USC. I get the bug every now and then to try to get back in it, but I think I'm a little too old now um, to get back in it. But it was a fun time, man. It shaped my life for a good many years, gave me some great connections, great insight on a lot of different things, great experiences. I got to go to places I don't think I ever would have went to if I wasn't part of this. I wasn't part of that. Um so I, I love it, man. Terrific. Well, hey, Jamal, thank you so much for jumping on with us and sharing uh, your perspective and sharing your stories. We are a better program for it. So open invite <laughs> moving forward. Anytime you want to jump back on, I'm sure we'll reconnect with you once college basketball season tips off. So thank you again, Jamal. Thank you all, man. Yeah, have me on. we can talk about what Tommy's going to do. Um, what this first year is going to look like and whatever, man, I'm, I'm, I will be your other Arizona basketball correspondent. Hey, I, I know for a fact that the listeners don't want that because they get <laughs> enough from me and Taylor, but you know what? Maybe you could be our USC guy too. You'll, okay. you'll be our USC guy too. That can work too. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Thank you again. All right. Thank y'all. All right. We want to thank Jamal again for jumping onto the program. A lot of great stories. Very funny guy. Like we said, get your reading material from him. You got Nerdy McFly. You also got uh, his MySpace if you're if you're into, I don't know, rehashing the past. Uh, and then, of course, David Baga's book. So a lot of good literature. We're, we're all about the theater, but I'm, I'm peddling the literature for today's episode. But we do want to thank Jamal uh, for jumping onto the program. And thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time here on Theater in College Hoops. Yeah! <laughs> For the first time, it's going down history, baby. New 3-6 Mafia, featuring A-Bomb and MJG, Young Buck. It's a Tennessee thing. We gotta stay.
girls say I'm the main. Ice on the wrist with the ice in the chain. Ride through the hood, yeah, I'm gripping the grain. And I'm sipping the same while I'm changing the lane. I feel tight cause I'm choking the creep. Bitch, it messed up cause I'm choking the lane. Messing with a D-boy, riding them big toys. Make your man gal wanna get on my team. She gotta give it up when she get in my car. I ain't Denzel, but I know I'm a star. Cause when I'm in the club, I be back in the bar. Yeah. In the VIP bar, and be buying the bar. Yeah. DJ Paul is a dog, one you do not trust. You leave your brain around me, nigga, your brain gon' get lit up. You leave your drink around me, believe your drink gon' get drunk up. You leave your girl around me, if she bad, she gonna get stuck. These niggas are spies, we let them lie. Keep them lies, tied, fine, ride what they like. Make a couple of nuns, a couple of dies. I'm purple, 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 purple. And swallow it down with these purple.